Malachi 2, 10 through 16. This is the word of God. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Will you pray with me? Father, here we are again gathered under your word. We ask you for wisdom, conviction, application, repentance, growth. Do all things today to your glory. Teach us to be faithful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Harold spoke to us from James 5.12. And did a lovely job, by the way. And, and that passage in James 5.12, do you remember, it was James kind of citing the teaching of Jesus, reminding us not to look for loopholes in our promises by making some sort of complicated, big, bold oaths. Instead, the people who follow the Lord are to be a people of their word. We are to be people others can count on, Right? If we say we'll do something, we need to follow through and do it. And like I said, that, that passage in James 5 represents a very similar teaching from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Now, here's what's interesting. This is why I tie this together, because the Lord seems to be doing something here. Just before Jesus talked to the people in the Sermon on the Mount about keeping their word and not messing with false oaths, Jesus taught Christians about their need to be faithful to their marriage vows. Now, why would I bring those two things up? Because today in Malachi chapter 2, we're going to see a very similar teaching. We're going to see a call first to faithfulness, Faithfulness to one another, faithfulness to the Lord. And the faithfulness that we are called to 
to, to have is going to be a faithfulness that we will demonstrate very clearly in our response to marriage. God has some strong things to say to us today. And we're going to hear them. It's not all about marriage today. So if you're single or you don't, you know, not into marriage sermons, don't worry. There's a lot more here. But there's a call about faithfulness today. And there's a call about not being treacherous or unfaithful to one another. In the book of Malachi, there's a Hebrew word that's used five times that means to be unfaithful, to be treacherous, to, to be someone who would double-cross someone. And all five of the occurrences of that word occur right here in this passage from verses 10 to 16. So here's the deal. God wants you and me to think about how not to be unfaithful. He wants us to be faithful in some very specific ways. Much of this is going to be about marriage, but not all of it. But all of it's going to apply to us as Christians. So let's get started. Let's learn from God's call to return to faithfulness and especially return to faithfulness in marriage. We'll give three points this morning. The first one, be faithful to one another for the sake of God's glory. Be faithful to one another for the sake of God's glory. Verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Malachi is a prophet in the middle 400s BC, and he's been speaking to the people of Judah, especially the priests, about their relationship with God. God knows that the people have forgotten that God has already proved his love for them. God knows that the priests have been unfaithful to his worship by offering sacrifices that were unacceptable to him. God also knows that the people have stopped honoring him. They've stopped fearing him because the priests have stopped faithfully teaching them from the word of God. So we shouldn't be surprised that Malachi is going to carry the conversation forward and show the priests and the people, another example of a way in which they as a people are not being faithful to God. And verse 10 starts with a pair of questions that are really easy to answer. They should have been easy to answer. Malachi, on God's behalf, asks, Have we not all one Father, and has not one God created us? And that's real simple, folks. It's important, but it's simple. Have we not all one Father? Now, to the Jew, that's a pretty significant national interest kind of question. Because the Jews, as a nation, are descended from Abraham. God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? They are counting on the promises of God to Abraham to be fulfilled. By the way, so are we. But then the other question, has not one God created us? That's an easy one, isn't it? Not only are the people all descended from Abraham, they are all also created by the one true God, in God's image, for God's glory. By the way, so are we. And God here is trying to get the people of Judah to see that they are all equal in their worth. 
Are you a child of God? Me too. Are you created in God's image? Me too. Are you worth something in the sight of God because God made you his own? So am I. And so are the others around you. So the question that follows, if we are all in God's family, and if we are all made in God's image, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Why, Malachi says, are y'all betraying each other? Why are you double-crossing each other? Why are you treacherous to each other? Why do that if you are all under God? Now, Christians, I think we can see right away that there's application here for more than Malachi's day, wouldn't you say? We are all made in the image of God. We are all part of the family of God in Jesus Christ if you have come to Jesus by God's grace through faith in Him, right? So then here's the question. Why would you and I ever do each other such dishonor? Why would we do God such dishonor as for you and me to ever be faithless or treacherous to one another? Why? Would we betray each other? Why would we hurt each other if we're all God's children? Think about it. Just stop and do a little application. What does it say if you are in any point in your Christian dealings dishonest and unfaithful or treacherous to another person? Would that not be you in your heart saying that you are of more value than the other person? Would it not be you saying, I want you to keep your word. I want you to treat me with respect, even though I should not have to treat you with honesty and respect. Is that not you acting as though you are the only child of God who is special? Or, not to out you because you're new, but as Lori said in Sunday school, isn't that just us saying to God, I don't approve of you in your ways? We want to honor God's name, don't we? So what do you think it does for the name of God when we lie to each other? What does it do for the name of God when we go back on our commitments to each other? What does it do for the name of God when we hurt each other? When you promise a Christian something and then you go back on your word, what do you think that does for the reputation of God? When you say, I'll be there to help, and then don't make it? What's it say about how you honor God and those made in God's image? Now, again, we all know sometimes things come up, but there's a responsible and an irresponsible way to do things, right? What does it say about how you honor God and those made in God's image? When you talk about people who aren't around, so as to make yourself look good and them look bad. What does that do for the reputation 
of God who saved them just like he saved you. Does it start to dig in a little bit? Christians, let's learn to be faithful to one another. Let's, let's keep the promises that we make. Let's not betray each other. Let's treat each other with honor and respect because such treatment honors God. And let's remember that every single person who's here and those we love here who aren't in the room today because they're on summer vacation, let's remember that all of us are created by God and are worthy of being treated with decency. Let's remember that every Christian is a brother or sister in Christ and thus is worthy of being treated with our love. Let's be faithful to each other. Let's be faithful to our word for the sake of the reputation, the name, the glory of God. But now this passage is going to go deeper and it's going to become more specific and it's going to get even more painful because it's not just about treating each other well, but instead it's going to go to one particular example, actually two sides of one example, that God has as a judgment on the people of Malachi's day. So point number two is be faithful to marry in Christ. Be faithful to marry in Christ. Christ. That's what we're going to get to, looking at verses 11 and 12. But watch this. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, Again, in Malachi's stuff about faithlessness, right? The Jewish person who hears it might have been thinking, oh, come on, how have we been so unfaithful? Now God is going to start drawing the picture of Israel, Judah's unfaithfulness. He says that an abomination has taken place. Y'all, that's a big deal, right? You, you, you don't want to be guilty of, okay, not just a little wrong, but something abominable. Right? Abominable. Something terrible, God says. What is the abomination? The men of Judah have married women who are the followers of false gods. Not only this, they've actually profaned the sanctuary with these women. The priests, the men of Judah, have broken God's commands by marrying women who are outside of the nation. And in doing so, they've made a mockery of the worship of God. You all know, don't you, that God had already forbidden the people of Israel from marrying people of other nations, right? That's not unfamiliar. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 reads, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Now understand me, that is not primarily an issue of ethnicity. God is not in that verse saying that people who are different colors or who speak with different accents are not allowed to be married. That is not what the Lord is after. 
What God was saying to the Israelites is that they were not allowed to marry women who come from other lands because they would bring into the nation of Israel the worship of idols. These women would corrupt the nation by leading the men into false religion. Those men that the women might bring in would corrupt the land by bringing the women into false religion. And if you don't believe that this would happen, there's a guy in the Old Testament you could ask. You could ask King Solomon. 1 Kings 11 verses 1 through 3 says this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. More than one problem here. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh... Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Malachi says, if anybody does this, if anybody marries a forbidden person, and especially if he then tries to turn and continue to practice the religion of the Hebrews without acting like nothing happened, he said, let him be cut off from the nation. Let his descendants be cut off from the nation. This is a big deal because God is here pronouncing a major curse. God wants the people to know this is a big deal. And again, as we do in these passages, we ask, okay, is there anything today that a Christian ought to learn? Let me say this very clearly, sympathetically, but very clearly and very distinctly. No qualification. Christians, my children, if you are single... Do not marry a non-believer. Make a commitment right here, right now, Christians, that you will not pursue or cultivate a romantic relationship with anybody who doesn't know Jesus, who is not fully committed to Jesus, who is not growing in their relationship to Jesus. Don't do it. It will dishonor God and it will break your heart. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, speaking of, it applies to marriage, speaking of even more, says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or, or, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Or again, in 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine, speaking of widows, Paul says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. <gasps> Only in the Lord. It is a violation of the commands of God. It is a sin for a Christian to knowingly marry a non-Christian. Now, I know many of you have experienced this. 
Aren't you grateful God is gracious and forgiving? Sometimes God's even so gracious as to bring an unbelieving spouse to faith in Jesus. However, this does not change the fact that God forbids his, Christian, his, his children to willingly marry non-believers. Let me also say, in order to avoid confusion, in case anybody's got it, because I am not trying to load a big guilt trip up on anybody. If you are in this situation, if you married a non-believer while you were a believer, God does not want you to try to get out of the marriage. If you're in it, right? What do you do? You confess to God. God, I disobeyed you in my marriage. And that disobedience is sin. You should ask God, Lord, please forgive me. 1 John 1, 9 tells us God will justly forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sin to him. But once you're in the marriage, God wants you to remain there. And God wants you to do your very best to make your marriage one that is honoring to Christ. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 16 read, To the rest I say, that's mean, and then he says, I, not the Lord, Paul saying, I'm giving a command that Jesus didn't speak now. He's still speaking with God's authority, though. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And again, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2 read, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Whatever situation you find yourself in here this morning, friends, I want you to to determine this. You will live in your situation to honor Christ. So if you're single, what do you do? Honor Christ first by keeping yourself from sexual immorality and remaining, remaining pure until you're married. Right? That's a way to honor Christ. You honor Jesus and you display the glory of Jesus when you learn to be a content single living in holiness to the glory of God and you show the world Jesus is enough. And then if you're single, make it a commitment that you will marry only a believer growing in the Lord. Because marriage is too big a deal and faith is too big a deal to have them going in opposite directions. And if you are married to a lost person, pray and work as hard as you can to show that person the love of God and the glory of God in your life. 
If you married a non-Christian while you were a believer and you knew it, ask God to forgive you that disobedience. But if you are a believer and you're married to another believer, strive to honor Jesus in your marriage because our marriages are supposed to depict the love of Jesus for his church. See Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 for all that. Well, the Jews were not honoring God by marrying in the faith. They dishonored God and they dishonored God's worship by bringing followers of false religions into their homes as wives. And then we get another detail. And it makes this story get even uglier than it sounded before. Our third point, our last point for this morning, be faithful to your marriage vows. Be faithful to your marriage vows. That's obvious, right? Listen to 13 through 16 again. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. See, God says here that he's especially offended by these men in Malachi's day. They would come and they would weep over their sacrifices. We learned in chapter 1, they were offering God blemished animals. They were offering God unacceptable sacrifices anyway. And they're weeping and they're wailing and they're, oh, this is so sad. Oh, God won't receive our worship. God won't receive our offerings. God won't give us the things we ask for in prayer. Oh, why, 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 God, have you turned your back on us? Why are you not hearing us, oh, God? And God says, You want to know why I'm not accepting the worship, these sacrifices you're making? It's because I'm a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Remember that young girl you married so many years ago, priests? Remember the vows you made to her? Remember how you promised you're going to love her and keep her as your bride, as your companion? God says, I remember. I was there. And I will not accept your worship because you have broken those vows and you have no remorse and you show no repentance. You said, I'm sinning against you. I don't care and I'm going to keep it up. And you think I'm going to be cool with that? See, the story gets a little clearer, doesn't it? The Jewish men were not just taking foreign wives who followed false god. That was bad enough, but that wasn't the bottom of their sin. They were apparently divorcing their own wives to marry these foreign women. See, the grass was looking greener on the other side of the fence. You guys do understand, don't you, that if the grass looks greener, it's probably because there's something fertilizing it that you don't want to touch. Perhaps, perhaps these foreign women were offering these Israelite men 
financial benefits, political benefits. Perhaps they were just tired of being married to their wives because their wives were as old as they are. So they divorced them, sent a packing. Because, see, they could satisfy themselves with these new, younger, exciting, exotic foreign women. Yeah, they worship foreign gods, but they're a lot of fun. Now, again, before we keep talking about marriage, let me draw out a truth that I think is just ringing in our ears right now. There's a connection here between what you do outside of the church gathered on Sunday and the way God may respond to your worship here. There are a lot of people in the world, I don't think there's a lot of people here at Providence, truth be told, but maybe I'm wrong about you, but there's a lot of people in the world who believe they can live however they wish from Monday through Saturday and then come and pay off their debt to God by sitting through a sermon on Sunday morning. And truthfully, for you who sit through my sermons, I do believe there ought to be a special dispensation of grace given you. (laughs) But in truth... God is not pleased at all with someone who thinks that you're paying God back a little bit by showing up here, so he ought to let you off the hook for everything, every way you live Monday through Sunday. Learn even from this little side point I'm making. Your life from Monday through Saturday matters. And if you want to please God in this room or some room we're gathered in on Sunday, you better be striving, seeking to live for God day to day. Now, do you and I earn God's favor by being good during the week? No. Because let me tell you something, you ain't that good, and neither am I. But if we are saved, we're going to live in submission to Scripture, we're going to be repenting, we're going to be seeking to please the Lord, whether in the worship service or out of it. Now, In verse 14, God tells the Jews, I'm a witness, I can testify, I saw you make those vows to your original wife, I am the one who blessed your union. In verse 15, really hard verse to translate, he says, I'm the one who made the two into one. He said, I'm the one whose spirit was right there in the union, right there in the middle of you two. I wanted you two to be together. I wanted you to be united. I wanted you to raise up godly offspring with your marriage. And I've seen you, instead of doing that stuff, I've seen you put away your wives, walk away from your marriage and go after others women and God says that is unacceptable so then God says guard yourself in your spirit let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the Lord covers his garment with violence says the Lord of hosts so guard yourselves in your spirit says it again and do not be faithless So here's the last statement, right? God repeats a warning. He tells you how he feels about this matter, about the divorces of these men. Now, I've got to show you something because there's something a little interesting about verse 16 depending on your translation of the scriptures. Verse 16 can look different from person to person. Let me ask just for a quick poll. How many of you are reading the ESV, which we use here to preach from? Okay, so most of you read what I read. How many of you have something else you're looking at? A couple of you do, right? Okay. ESV reads, For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. 
the Christian Standard Bible, the more modern, more recent version of the New International Version actually translates this verse in a very similar way. It says that the man who would, who would walk away from his wife like these priests were is a hateful, hateful man. But there's another way that this has been translated, and it's the one most of you grew up hearing. The New American Standard Bible will read, quote, For I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong. Does that sound familiar to some of the rest of you now? You remember the God hates divorce quote before, right? So the question is, what is God saying here? Is God saying he hates divorce? Or is God saying that the man who would leave his wife for another woman is hating her, a hateful person, and is like an evil, violent man? If you read the New Bible Commentary, which uh, D.A. Carson edits, here's a quote that I heard, or read. It says, It is only with great difficulty and some changes um, uh, to the text that the underlying Hebrew of verse 16 can be made to say, I hate divorce. Which means Carson is saying, I hate divorce is not the most natural reading of this. The authors of the New American Commentary, uh, the Haggai through Malachi volume, would say the same thing. They say that the ESV translation, the one who hates and divorces his wife, uh, they say that makes the most sense of the text because of the way that the Hebrew pronouns are here written. But there are other commentaries out there, like the Tyndale, like the New International Commentary on the Old Testament. They agree with the New American Standard Bible, which says, I hate divorce, primarily because they would argue they don't want to, to allow a weakening on the biblical teaching of the sinfulness of unlawful divorce. And I will say to you that it's really beyond the scope of what we have to accomplish this morning to have a major technical discussion of the Hebrew pronouns and all that stuff. Uh, that would be highly important perhaps if you were trying to develop a biblical theology of marriage and divorce, but it actually isn't essential for you to understand the passage in its context. Why? Why would I say it doesn't matter that much? Well, think about how you read the text. If this text says, a husband who would turn his back on his wife and walk away from her is showing ungodly hatred, would you think that's true? You betcha. Those Jewish men in this context were leaving behind women, just leaving them out in the cold so they could marry other women. Now, that is an evil action. It's a hateful action. If that is an evil action and a hateful action in this context, does it make sense that God would say, I hate that? Yeah, it really does. So we don't really have to have a battle of, over translation here to understand this in its context. Uh, Again, the major weight is on who is the one hating. And it's a very difficult translation question. So we're not going to wrestle it down to the ground. Either one is going to be fine. So what do we take away, though? Honor your marriage vows. Keep the covenant you make. Be a companion to your spouse. That's part of the covenant you make is that you be a decent companion to your spouse. Loving, supporting, cherishing your marriage as fits the command of God is what you're called to do. And follow the warning that God gives in verses 15 and 16 
What's the warning he gives? Guard yourself in your spirit. You notice that was said twice? Guard your heart. Do not even for a minute allow a thought to enter your mind that would have you do what these men did in Malachi's day. Do not look around and think, man, it would be nice to be with somebody other than this person I am stuck with here today. Don't think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Do not forsake your marriage vows even to indulge your fantasies. Guard your heart, guard your mind so as not to even allow those thoughts to begin to form. Remember at the beginning I talked about Matthew 5? We had the oaths, be faithful to keep your word. Kind of like what God's told the priests of Malachi to do. Remember I also said that God called the Christians to be faithful to their marriage vows. You remember that in Matthew 5 as well? Do you remember what Jesus said to the people just before he told them not to unlawfully divorce? Matthew 5, 27 through 30 reads like this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Y'all think that's a pretty big warning from Jesus, by the way? See, doesn't that kind of sound like Malachi saying, guard your spirit? Guard your heart, guard your soul from the temptation to do anything that would lead you to stray from your marriage vows. Interesting, isn't it? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, guard against lust with everything you've got. He said, avoid any unlawful divorce. And he said, be someone who keeps your word and never never play tricks on technicalities. Now here, four centuries before Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, Malachi is telling the people of God all those very same things. God is saying to us, dear friends, this stuff is very important. I know, I know sitting here in this room this morning, there are people from all across the spectrum of marriage experiences. Some of y'all are single. Some of y'all are faithfully, happily married. Some of you all are in rotten marriages. Some have been divorced. Some are remarried. What do you take away from all of this stuff? Here's what I'd say. Boil it down. If you've sinned in your past, confess it to God and do everything you can do to make it right if it's in your power and is still in obedience to the word of God. And then make it your goal to honor God by showing the glory of God in your life for the rest of your future. Keep your promises. Be faithful to others. Be faithful to your marriage vows. And if you're a single person, be committed to marry only in the Lord, only a growing believer in Jesus. 
Christians, God wants faithfulness out of you and out of me. He wants us to be faithful to others. He wants us to keep our word so that we can show off his glory. He wants us to be faithful to his worship. He wants us to be faithful to our spouse. And so that means if it's in your ability to do so in any way, you strive to make your marriage work, whatever it takes. Yes, sometimes a spouse will leave you and there's not a thing you can do about that. But make this your goal. Be 100% faithful, keeping your vows to others and guard your heart so that you don't let anything into it that would tempt you to be anything less than completely faithful to your marriage vows. Now, why is all this such a big deal to God? Let me say one last thing and I'll be done. God wants us to be faithful to one another in every way, including in marriage, because God is totally faithful. God has faithfully promised that he will forgive anybody of their sins who will come to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, in faith and repentance. If you cry out to Jesus in genuine faith and repentance. Jesus gives you a brand new life and forgiveness and identity as a child of God. Do you guys believe Jesus is totally faithful to forgive all who genuinely come to him because he's the one who brings them? If God is that faithful, then God also wants you to mirror that faithfulness and display it in your life, in how you, make, how you give your word, how you keep your word, and especially how you make and keep vows, including marriage vows. Christians, take this to heart. If you don't know Jesus yet, I urge you, come talk to me after the service is done or give me a call this week or talk to a faithful Christian in this room. Learn this, you're a sinner, just like all of us, but you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ if you run to him for grace. And we'd love to talk to you about how to do that. Believe in Jesus, turn from your sin, ask him for salvation. Let's pray together. Father, here we are again. At the end of a... Hard word in many places. A convicting word, I think, for all of us in different ways. Make us faithful because you are faithful. Bring people to repentance. Bring people to faith in Christ. And God, be magnified. Your grace is so great. All of us have been unfaithful with our word from time to time. None of us is pure on our own. Thank you for Jesus who died to ransom us. Now, Lord, help us to please you. Take our lives. Let them be expressions of your grace. Help our marriages. Protect our singles from the danger of compromise in all things. Lord, Make us yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.